0: Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. One of the beautiful aspects of the Easter season is how God calls us into his story, the story of how he saves and redeems our world. We as humans love to write our own stories, to weave tales of who we are and how we interact with the world and with God. And this is a good thing because God has made us creative creatures, made in his image as the creator. But the stories that we weave are only true if they fit into the narrative arc of God's story. We can't create our own reality, no matter how hard we try. And so, we must tell stories that tell the story of God's reality. Right now, in the story of God's redemption, we're standing at a crossroads. The Feast of the Ascension was this past Thursday. And the Feast of Pentecost is next Sunday. And this gives us 10 days of waiting. There's a tension at this part of the story because Jesus has returned to the Father and the Holy Spirit has not yet come. And obviously, we know what's going to happen We're not sitting in this tension because we're sort of reenacting the story or because we're ignorant of the end. But we're sitting in this tension because it gives us an opportunity to reflect on the enormity of this moment. Jesus, God's son, has come into the world. He has finished his work on the cross. Our salvation is complete So now what? Our gospel reading is the first part of what's known as the high priestly prayer. And Jesus prayed it in the presence of his disciples at the Last Supper. So as he's preparing them for what lay ahead, for his crucifixion and resurrection and then ascension 40 days later, these are some of the final words that he gave them so in these words we see what's most important for the disciples to understand and for us to understand at this particular moment of the story and jesus begins the prayer not by giving the disciples a to-do list in his absence but by describing his relationship with god and his work here on the earth In this moment, when it would be so easy for the disciples and us to get worked up about ourselves, what are we going to do now that Jesus is gone? Jesus keeps the focus on himself. The Father has sent him into the world to do one thing, to give eternal life to his people. And that work is about to be finished in the crucifixion and resurrection. This is why Jesus says, the hour has come. And Jesus glorifies God in his obedience in doing this work, in being close to humanity as a first century Palestinian Jew who offers his life as a sacrifice for ours. And God glorifies him with a glory that flows out of their relationship. It's a transcendent glory that humanity can't comprehend right now because we weren't around when it happened. It's a glory that was there before any part of creation existed. A glory that we were created out of. And Jesus makes it known to us in his work of salvation. And knowing this is how we experience salvation and eternal life here on earth. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That we would know Jesus, and know the Father he shows us, and know his work on earth for us, This is what Jesus wants for us. But I want to pause for a moment because this is one place where as human beings we love to tell our own stories. And frequently they don't match up with God's story. We love to come up with our own narratives of who God is and how he interacts with us and the world. And they usually hit on one piece of God's story. They'll line up with a little bit of his truth. But they miss the entirety of it. Sometimes we tell a story where God's transcendence dominates the narrative. We start with an all-powerful God who created the world. And we're good with that. But then we get hung up there. Because When we see evil in the world, we wonder if he bothered to keep caring after that first act of creation. We read headlines about chaos from natural disasters, earthquakes, and floods, and rising sea levels, and tornadoes that kill thousands of people, and we wonder how God could let that happen. Or, from a different perspective, maybe we hear about or experience how religious leaders hurt people in their congregations. And we decide that maybe God's not working in the church. Maybe God's not actually able to change lives. And we can't see how God can be involved in a world that is experiencing this much pain. So we relegate him to the heavens, to the other world. He can hang out with the angels. He can be involved in the world occasionally, but we can't see how there's an integral role for him in this story of ours here on earth. Bette Midler put it best, from a distance, God is watching us. But the danger is, when we tell this story, that we end up with a church that's withdrawn from the world, that holds up inside its beautiful buildings and dresses up in its gorgeous vestments and plays wonderful music, but does nothing more. If God doesn't care, then why should the church? But then, sometimes, we go in the complete opposite direction. And we tell a story where God's closeness dominates the narrative. We want a God who is familiar and knowable, who we can wrap our minds around. So, instead of looking outside ourselves to find who God is, we look inside. Rena Raphael, a journalist for the New York Times, recently published a book called The Gospel of Wellness in which she talks about how people have found a new religion within wellness culture. Gyms stand in for churches. Workouts become the new liturgy. Spin classes are congregations. People are finding support, fellowship, and satisfaction in eating healthily and looking good. They go to their personal trainers for spiritual advice. And in this case, God becomes something that we can achieve, something we can do, we can control, with results we get to have a say in. And we could tell other versions of this story. We could talk about the Gospel of the Enneagram, where complex personality paradigms tell us who we are, or the gospel of atomic habits, where building the perfect lifestyle will solve your problems, or the gospel of finding your voice, where as long as you're true to yourself, you can't go wrong. And when we tell one of these stories, we end up with a faith That's so wrapped up in ourselves and in the world that we can't tell what's us and what's the world and what's God because there is no real distinction. And while we might make a small difference for good in our lives or in the world for a period of time, there's no real power in this story of who God is because the world cannot change the world. So both of these narratives have elements of truth. But both of them miss the mark where it's most important. Because in these narratives, we look at ourselves and the world around us to figure out God. But Jesus calls us to look at himself, at his relationship with the Father, and his work in the world to know the Father. And when we listen to his story, then we become a church that experiences eternal life and knows how to share it with the world. We become a church who understands just how and why a transcendent God might draw close to humanity to save us from ourselves. Jesus tells us about this glory he had with God before the world began. Jesus is the word, the logos in Greek, the word that spoke creation into being and the rational principle behind that creation. Jesus was with God the Father as his Son and with the Holy Spirit, existent in eternity, fully complete and fully glorified without the world, and before the world. The three persons of the Trinity were there together in loving relationship to each other as persons in all of their glory. And it was out of that love and that glory that the will to create the world came. They had so much love that it poured out into this beautiful creation that is our world and us. They also knew that this world would become marred by sin. So they had a plan in place from the very beginning to redeem it. This loving Trinitarian God would not remain solely transcendent, far from the created world, but God the Father would send his beloved Son into the world to live and die as a human being, to be present in all of our pain and to defeat death. And yet, in all of Jesus' closeness to the world, to the disciples that he loved and lived with and ate with and laughed with, he remained the Son of God, their Lord and Savior, who still deserved all of the glory that he had before the creation of the world. And now... At this moment in the story, he must return to the Father, not to leave the world behind forever, but to go and prepare a place for humanity with God in all of his transcendence. And so Jesus leaves his words with the disciples so that they and we can know this story And in knowing this story, they and we can discover the eternal life that flows from knowing Jesus and his relationship with God the Father and the work he came to earth to do. When we are a church who tells this story, then we become a church that has something real to offer to the world around us. A God who is both transcendent and close is one who both has the power to change the world and cares enough to be present to the world. Knowledge of this God produces eternal life in us and makes us into a church who is eager to be sent out into the world to share the story. And at Pentecost, God pours out his spirit on us to make all of this possible. But that is next week's sermon. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorgesorg slash give. Thank you for your support.